Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening I'm joined with Mr. Richard Retta, and we're going to talk about different types of tips and tools that can help you with cooking. And uh, thank you very much for being on the show in short notice, Richard. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, and I do hope that our other guest is able to call in. Yes, we do hope so. I, I just spoke to him, too, so I know that he knows, but I'm certain that uh, you have some really, really good information. But I know that one of the things that I was very, very concerned about when I became low vision way back in 2004 was I really had no confidence that I was able to cook. I tried to make eggs, and I just wanted to make eggs over easy and cook a little bit of bacon, and it was so terrible. I had no way of really seeing how well my food was cooked, and I was so frustrated that when I served it, I just didn't even want to eat it. And, you know, later that day, I tried even making lunch, and I decided that I was going to go ahead and make hamburgers. You know, that's pretty easy. Yeah, I was I was there trying to make hamburger patties for my wife and I to have some hamburgers, and these hamburgers were so overdone. <laughs> they were like eating a hockey puck, and I just said, you know what, I am not going to try to cook. And literally, I just gave up. I didn't try. I didn't take any classes. I didn't ask anybody for help, but it really wasn't until... Much, much later, I didn't really start cooking until about five years later when I became totally blind. And it really doesn't make sense that as a blind person, I was willing to start cooking again. But as a person who was partially sighted, I just had no confidence. And for me, what had happened was that I took a cooking class. And I learned how to use a talking timer. And everything that I was cooking was really dependent on how long it was in the pan, how high I had the heat. And I also purchased a a tool that I thought was really helpful. And it was one of those talking meat thermometers. So after that, I jumped in and tried doing all sorts of other cooking. And so far, it's been very, very helpful. So... For me, it really was a matter of becoming educated. It didn't matter what I could see or what I couldn't see. And as a matter of fact, I cooked better when I could see nothing at all. But uh, for you, Richard, how was it that you came to get involved with cooking? Well, I'm thinking as you were speaking, I'm thinking back on to the things that I experimented with, the things that brought me into the kitchen that I became comfortable with. And I think I, as a person with low vision, uh, use a couple of things in the kitchen. I, I look at what do I like to eat and what do I like to cook and what, what do I know is going to come out pretty decent. I look at the crock pot as a, as a real simple tool that you can – you have one pot, you plug it in, you have a high and low option, and then depending on what you're going to cook, I use that to make like a pot of beans. And you can put 
you know, a jalapeno in there and you can put garlic and onion. You can put a ham bone if you want a ham of smoke flavor or without if you're cooking vegetarian or healthier. Uh, and then you just add in those ingredients and then you, you put it on low and you can let it go for seven or eight hours or you can put it on high and let it go for three or four hours. And that's really easy cooking. If you're new, if you're not too familiar with the kitchen and let's say you're, you're new to vision loss, it, that's that's one real simple introduction to the kitchen. And as you build confidence with trying new things, you can move on to the frying pan or the grill or the broiler or your or your stove. And I know at least in California, you can have thing uh, you can have Pacific Gas and Electric or your local gas company come in and do markings on your stove so you know where. The, the medium, low, and high, or the 200, 400, 500 bar by having them put bump dots on your on your oven, so oh. you know where. Yeah, they do that as a courtesy, no charge. Uh, I know that's been the case, and Elsa, if you are able to chime in, I, I think you may have had experience with this with some of your experiences, but I know that uh, I've heard that you could do that with specific gas and electric, and I believe Smud up in Sacramento, where I'm at. Will do that if you call them, or sometimes calling your local blindness center in your region. They can either give you helpful hints over the phone by walking you through it, or someone might be able to come out uh, and, and help you set up your phone, or set up your your oven. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, in your kitchen, so you're comfortable and you're safe in your kitchen because you really do want to start with kitchen safety, you knowing where your knives are, knowing how to put them away, knowing how to turn on and off your oven and your stove and all your other appliances. And as as you said, Richard, the safety, that's really important. It's really important to keep unnecessary things away from the stove or the flame because if you have a roll of paper towels there or something, uh, it could go up in flames right away and you're going to have a big problem. You know, Richard, I I wanted to ask you if I may, I I have never even thought about cooking with a crock pot. And when you say that you make beans with this, what are you talking about? Are you talking about refried beans or pinto beans? And when you said that you might even put in a piece of pork in there, yeah. How, how do you do this whole thing? Do you have to brown the pork first in a pan? Not necessarily. So, for example, just before this call, maybe about 45 minutes ago, um, I was looking through my refrigerator and I said, oh, there's some leftover ham from Easter Sunday. It's a Neiman Neiman Ranch ham. It's a really nice ham from Costco. And I had taken it over to my friends and they sent me home with the ham bone and some pieces of ham on it because they know I was going to cook with it um, in the crock pot. So I pulled that out and I basically placed that ham bone in the crock pot with about three cups of dried pinto beans. I added some water. Um, I like things spicy, so I threw in a jalapeno chili, and then I added some minced garlic, some dried onion powder flakes, and some, some, yeah, and that's it. And then I basically plugged it in. I have it on high. I think I put it on about quarter of five. And right about 10.45 at 11 o'clock tonight, that'll be done. In about 7, 8 o'clock, you'll, my house will start smelling really good. Wow. And right about 7 or 8 o'clock, I'll, uh, I'll take the lid off and I'll stir things around, make sure things are cooking, make sure there's enough water in the crock pot. 
so things aren't drying up too fast. You don't want to add too little or too much water because you want good consistency. Um, and then, yeah, about 10 or 11 o'clock, it'll be done. And I may or may not have a small bowl uh, to taste, but it'll it'll set overnight. And I'll, and I'll over the week, uh, you can have it just by itself, but it comes out pretty good. And then you can add it over rice. You can add, have it as a side dish. And then over the week, you can you can take it out and put it in a frying pan with a little bit of oil and, and make refried beans by just using the same thing you would use to mash potatoes with, and you can have refried beans. Is that right? That, that sounds yeah. so easy. It sounds really easy to do. And yeah. if you're on a budget and you and I like beans, I uh, you can go down to your local Smart and Final or your Costco or and uh, look for a ten. 15 pound bag of pinto beans for about seven eight dollars and it, it goes a long way it you goes know, a long way when i was in high school uh, a really good friend of mine we were on the basketball team together and his mom she would make you know homemade pinto beans and i never thought that i would like pinto beans it didn't sound appealing to me and she would make homemade tortillas and pinto beans for us after the game. There was nothing like it. It was so great. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, the jalapeno that you said you put in there, do you dice that up so that more of the juice and the seeds make it spicier? Or do you just throw it in? I just throw it in. May I ask, is that Randy who's all there? Yes, it is. I just looked at the email, and I guess I was supposed to call in, and here I am. Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, well, it well Dr. Timing. Bill, let me, let, me, let me just finish, and then we'll segue to Randy. I'll happily do that. Uh, Randy, this is Richard. I'm, I'm uh, pinch-hitting for you, but basically, yeah, I put the jalapeno in whole, and, uh, and then I'll take it out uh, when my beans are done because some people I serve it with, I don't want to serve them the whole jalapeno because they don't want it. And But it, it comes out very spicy. It comes out very tasty, and it's a good kind of beans that will last me a couple of days. You, you know, Richard, that recipe using the crock pot to make these beans, uh, I want to ask you a question. When you buy the fresh pinto beans, are you supposed to wash those before you put it in the crock pot? Uh, you know, there's different schools of thought. Some people do like, I mean, it, it's good to rinse them, yes. Um, and, but some people will put them in, in water and let them set overnight. And some people will just put them in. And I've done them both ways, and they, they come out very tasty either way. Wow. And then after it's been finished, for example, uh, if it's finished after five hours or so, then you recommend just let it sit in the crock pot under low temperature, or do you do you take it completely out of the crock pot and stick it in the refrigerator and then eat it? The I don't. Way? I don't. I don't stick it in the refrigerator. I, I let it set overnight for about three or four hours until it's completely cool, and then I'll place it in the refrigerator. Um, I, I will unplug it, but I will leave the crock pot where it's at on the counter and let it cool off, and then I'll, I'll put it away accordingly. Wow, that sounds great. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to try that. We're gonna have to try that. Absolutely. Recipe. Well, thank you very much, Richard. And uh, my pleasure. At this time, everybody, I'd like to introduce you to our main guest. And uh, our main guest this evening is Randy Rusnak, and he has his own cooking podcast that's on ACB Radio, Cooking with the Hazelnuts. Is that right? 
You, you have it all correct. I'm just amazed. You must have a teleprompter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got it right in front of me. <laughs> well, you know, we're really, really, really happy to have you here. And we have quite a few people on the show tonight who want to learn from you about cooking. Well, they better call some in, to some other show. <laughs> All I want to say is, Rich, I'm going to come over to your house and raid your fridge. That uh, that bean recipe sounds great. Oh, it really does. If you've ever had homemade pinto beans, there. Oh good. yes, I have. I usually throw in a ham hock. Oh and, yeah, uh, that's what he was talking about. It's really good. Yeah. But uh, Randy, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I, I know that you were in the engineering field before you started doing cooking. Is that right? Well, actually, um, my gosh, I started out uh, as a tech trainer. Uh, I was a, um, a trainer for uh, computers, book readers, uh, all kinds of adaptive, adaptive devices, if I could only talk here. Uh, and from there... Um, I started to work with students uh, in the cooking field um, because uh, the instructors wanted to do some other things. And I said, gee, I wish we could get somebody in that, that could cook. And I went, here I am. <laughs> so uh, I was an assistant instructor for many years um, in in that department. Um, I started cooking when I was, oh, gosh, maybe about 12 years old. Um, unfortunately, uh a lot of low vision and blind people are afraid of fire. They're afraid of yeah. stoves. Um, they don't like the sound of... Here's what I don't understand. They don't like the sound of steaks cooking or frying. Now, that, to me, is the sound of heaven, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Randy, let me ask you this question, though. Were you born blind, or are, did you become totally blind? No, I was uh, totally blind from birth. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and so I I really wanted to cook. I wanted to rattle around in the kitchen and uh, just started to do my own thing because um, no disrespect respect to my dad, but he was a meat and potatoes man, and after about 18 years, I got pretty tired of it. So <laughs> I decided to start doing some cooking of my own at the age of maybe about 13, 12 or 13, and then uh, gradually... Um, I, when I was working in radio, I started to uh, develop friendships with people um, on the East Coast, and they were really into spaghetti and all kinds of various foods and, and meatballs and tomato gravies and things, and they, they knew how to cook really well. And I went, oh, man, i got to learn from these guys. So wow. that's how that all started. That's wonderful. Well, you know, before uh, Richard was telling us, you know, it's really important that you have the right equipment and that you're safe. And what would you say are some of the very essential tools and equipment that would be very helpful for people with low vision or people oh. who are totally blind to have? I guess um, some nice, and I'm not joking here, but some nice uh, fire retardant uh, long sleeve mitts, you know, that go up to around your forearm uh, made of silicone. That's one thing. Um, an apron with uh, large pockets, uh, silicone. Um, I like silicone, uh, like roasters and mats and cookie sheets and things like that. And I also like rigid cookie sheets uh, to put things on. Uh, they have so many things out there that make things safe for low vision and blind people now. Um, 
talking temperature probes. Um, they even make uh, conduction cooktop stoves that, uh, or burners that, that don't get hot uh, when you turn them on. However, the pot that you sit them on uh, get get warm and, you know, very hot. So you've got to be careful of that. So there's all kinds of ways of cooking without fire. There's uh, microwaves. Um, I I don't prefer microwave cooking myself, but, you know, if you just get started cooking for the first time, you can use your microwave just fine. Just use those silicone gloves and you'll do you'll do just great. A very light touch uh, is all one really needs just to guide their hand down from a fork or a spoon or some type of spurtle. Do you guys know what spurtles are? No, I don't. A spurtle is made out of... Uh, Acacia wood, and that's a very old wood. I think it, I think it uh, comes from Jerusalem, and it's kind of a soft wood, and it's like a spatula with a really long handle. Um, they make ones that are shaped like spoons, ones that shapes like a like shaped like a, um, a paddle. Well, they even have them shaped like whisks, and they are uh, rigid, and they have long handles on them, and you, you can use them for. Stirring, whisking, taking peanut butter out of those. Uh, well, in my day, we had uh, we had glass jars. Peanut butter was in, so you can tell how long, how old I am. <laughs> um, so you you can just dip, or whisk, spoon, all kinds of things with these spurtles. And I, the best deals I found um, are I don't know if your listeners are are uh, computer literate, but uh, even if they're not, you can call QVC or go online and search for the word spurtle on QVC and uh, you can find them. They're a really neat cooking implement. They have them in sets. They even have them in uh, like little wooden cases. You can set them in kind of like spoon rests. Now, today that you had mentioned that you were going to share with us some ideas about cooking pancakes because everybody loves a good pancake. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Can you give us uh, some and ideas as to how to cook pancakes. Yeah, I uh, I've got an electric pancake maker. Um, I've got that from QVC. Unfortunately, if you um, you can't find them on QVC anymore. So what I ended up doing was uh, all kinds of friends of the, the cooking show that I'm involved in. Uh, a lot of people have heard me talk about the pancake maker. And what they are um, is a device that you plug in. And for those who have no vision, there is a light, a ready light that uh, goes out when the temperature reaches uh, its full potential. But there's a little relay that you can hear it click. Now, word of caution here, they get hot. So you have to use, uh, you know, your touch system, however you do it, very lightly to find the pancake wells. And there are round wells, there's four of them. And they make a mini pancake. Uh, you pour a quarter cup of batter in each well, and then you close the lid. It's it's like a waffle iron, only shaped like a pancake. Um, oh, okay. Pancake uh, on the tops and bottoms. They cook from the top and the bottom, so no flipping. You close the lid. You put the lock down. And I'm fortunate enough to have an Amazon Echo or like a Google Home unit would work, or you can find some way to time it with a mechanical or a timer that you can actually uh, you know, set however you want to time your, your cooking. In about four minutes, you have wonderful pancakes. Now, the pancakes you can make from a 
from either like a crusty's mix where you just add water, uh, all the eggs and milk and everything are all added in, or you can go get a pancake mix. Or what I like to do is I've got a really great IHOP recipe. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure if your listeners would like, I could email uh, Dr. Bill and he could he could forward on onto somehow, or uh, you know read you the recipe once I submit it. But they're called uh, International House of Pancake Copycat Recipe, and they're just delicious. Wow. Now, how did you find that recipe from IHOP Copycat? Is that something on the Internet? Well, I, I've i been um, on this recipe email since uh, – it's an email list since about 2004, and it was submitted probably about 2006, and I just, I just copied it and pasted it into a Word document, and uh, I've been using it ever since. Oh, they're so good. You just wouldn't believe it. Oh, gosh. I, I I love IHOP's pancakes, and with this pancake maker, do you have to use any type of uh, uh, oil or butter, or do you spray it with Pam so that your pancakes don't stick to it? You can do that if you wish uh, for flavor uh, or not. I I like flavor. I like to rub a little coconut oil on my pancake wells. And that way they are are nice and brown. Not that they wouldn't get brown, but they have a little coconut flavor to them. And oh, are they good? Real maple syrup, and you got yourself a treat. Now, if you want one of these pancake makers, my advice is to go to uh, Amazon.com and search for Electric Pancake Maker, and you should be able to find it. And unfortunately, they're about thirty bucks. Uh, I think I paid. I don't know. I got mine on clearance for about twelve or thirteen dollars, and people just want, want, want them, but. I don't know why they don't make them more available because they're just great for low vision blind cooks, you know. Oh, I think any cook would really appreciate it. It, it really, it really makes it easy. And you had mentioned that uh, you would keep the pancakes in there for about four minutes, and that's mm-hmm. the time that they're pretty much ready, huh? That's right. And then you just open it up, and uh, I use a little spatula to scoop each pancakes a pancake out. There's four of them. And then what I do is I stack them either onto like a platter or whatever and put them in the oven and keep them warm. <laughs> Unfortunately, what I do is I do a little taste test. You know, one for the cook, one for the oven, two for the cook, one for the oven. <laughs> and then I've got an Opti Grill. Uh, have you guys ever heard of an Opti Grill before? No, I've never heard of it. Opti Oh, my gosh. Okay. Opti, O-P-T-I-G-R-I-L. Now, let me tell you about this, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this OptiGrill is really cool. It looks like a George Foreman, sort of, um, but the plates are made of ceramic, which means they do not stick. And I'm telling you, they make pans out of ceramic now that are unbelievable. They don't stick either. Um, you can spray a little, put a little coconut oil, a little, little uh, you know, pan on them if you wish, but only for flavor. Um, and what what they have... A row of buttons going across the uh, front of the machine. They're uh, located right on the handle, and it's got a really big handle. And you have an on button, and then you have a steak button, hamburger button, fish button, panini. You all know what paninis are? Uh, I do not know what a panini You do not. Okay, well, think of a grilled cheese sandwich with ham inside. Ham and cheese, or with uh, like a like uh, pork roast with a little uh, cheese, or whatever. And then you can take your slices of bread, rub them with coconut oil, 
and put uh, them on the Opti Grill, and they have a special panini setting, and it presses the sandwich. It molds it down, if you will, and it comes out into almost one piece. Um, or you could you could change it up a little bit and rub them with a little French toast batter and grill them. And oh, put a little sliced apple in them, thinly sliced, and a few walnut shavings for health and for taste. Wow. And you and there's an actual panini setting on there. Um, there is a, a sausage and bacon setting, and you can do pork chops on the device. Now, what's cool? Now, why am I saying that they have buttons for them? Well. You push one of these buttons, and when the grill heats, it beeps when it's ready to have your um, product placed onto the ceramic plates. Mm -hmm. And then when it's done, it also beeps. It actually senses the temperature of your food. It actually knows. It's got a brain. It's got a better one than I do, actually. (laughs) And uh, it um, actually will tell you when it's... uh, Rare, medium, or well done. So with this one, you don't even need a temperature probe. It just uh, beeps and lets you know when your food's done. It's a great device. And it's, again, called the Opti Grill. And it's made by TFAL. And uh, you can do an online search for Opti, O-P-T-I, Grill, and find it that way. Or you can look uh, on the TFAL site and buy it that way if you wish. Uh, They have interchangeable plates. Um... So you can just take the plates off and, and wash them up, put them in the dishwasher if you want. Super, super uh, great device. You know, Randy, is this designed for people with low vision? So in other words, are those buttons tactile? They're, they're so buttons. Yep, they're buttons. So that with my fingers, I would be able to tell which button is for hamburger versus a panini versus fish? You got it. And it it beeps. Uh, Let me just, I think this is plugged in. Let me see. Did you hear that? Yes. Could you guys hear that? I heard it beep three times. Yeah, I was just pushing the buttons at random. And, uh, yeah, so you can tell each button beeps when you press it. Very tactile and very well designed. Now, uh, how how much does this cost? And is, this is this has been designed for people with low vision. No, it just happened to be that way. I I saw it on um, on YouTube one day, and I went, I have got to get this grill. And I never looked back. Um, just a great device. Uh, how much did I pay for it? Oh gosh. Uh, let me see. I think it was around $125. Let me ask, uh, Terry real quick, my girlfriend here. Terry, how much was our OptiGrill? 179 Okay. Gosh, that's great. Yeah. Um, no, certainly you can cook with a George Foreman. If you have a temperature probe, you can tell what you're doing, but this just makes everything so easier. Easy. Uh, some other really neat devices you were asking about. What do blind people use to be safe? How about an electric pressure cooker? Um, we have, uh, I have two of them. I've got an eight-quart uh, manual that I use on top of the stove, but I also have a six-quart uh, pressure cooker with buttons that beep. And then I use a, I don't, tr- well, I mean, I trust 
the pressure cooker's times, but I don't trust my own judgment. So what what I mean by that is I time everything just to make sure. And usually I'm right on the money, but I use a time, my uh, Amazon Echo to time my foods. Now, you can also get what's called a um, Instant Pot, and that is a pressure cooker, and that's controlled by uh, your iPhone. It's a Bluetooth uh, compatible device, and you can use that to set its temperature and its time right from your iPhone. Now, what are some of the types of dishes that you make with a pressure cooker? I don't know that I've ever, I don't think that I've ever seen anybody cook with a pressure cooker. You need to get over here. Yeah. <laughs> Educate. Oh, how, how about a nice pressure cooked chicken? Takes you about 45 minutes, and then you place it under your broiler for about 10 minutes to get to get it nice and glazed. Now, the pressure cooker um, tends to make them very tender, but, you know, the outside is a little... Uh, a little rubbery feeling, so you want to you want to crisp that up. So you put it under your broiler to give it a nice, you know, uh, roast chicken uh, wow. um, feel. Uh, oh gosh, there's nothing better than a pressure cooker full of roast beef, corned beef, um, pork roast, and with that you can add your carrots and potatoes and onions. Uh, you can make stews and soups in a pressure cooker. Pressure cooker. Uh, they make everything tender. Uh, in one third of the time that it would take you to put into an oven, and I I don't use oven to cook my roast anymore. Everything goes into the pressure cooker. And so, do you submerge uh, a certain amount of water? In, in yeah, the they want you to put uh, two, about two cups of water in to to be safe. Uh, so, if I don't want things submerged in water, I put my meat on a rack inside the pressure cooker, and then everything still gets all steamed and nice. You've never had a corned beef and cabbage dinner. So nice and tender out of the pressure cooker. It's marvelous. Really? So it saves a lot of time, it sounds like, also, huh? Yeah, about a third of the time. Wow. And the electric pressure cooker, they're totally safe for a blind person to use. Now, remember, with any appliance, you know, they get hot. Um, But they make hardly any noise. But most of your pressure cookers today, like your power pressure cookers uh, or the the Big Boss, which is an eight-quart, the Big Boss you can find at Amazon, all the buttons beep. Um, so you just have to learn the arrangement of the buttons, um, and uh, you're often often cooking. Wow, that is great. Now, you also had mentioned to us a bit earlier that one of your ex-specialty uh, dishes is cooking steaks. And oh, yeah. tell us, what do you feel is the best flavor steak to buy, and how do you prepare your steaks? Are you um, on a barbecue grill, or... Are you using uh, the the Opti Grill? Well, my favorite way of cooking steaks is like a like a, a skirt steak or a T-bone steak or a um, well, really, you know, any kind of steak. I mean, if somebody's going to invite me over for steak, I'll eat their steak, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I prefer my steaks on a good old charcoal grill. Now, I have been cooking. On a charcoal grill since the since around 1980 or 81, and I use an electric charcoal starter where you just put your charcoal in the middle of an, uh, like a hoop, and then um, you plug it in, let your coals come up to temperature, and as you get good, you can actually you know feel feel with your with your senses, you know, like your you know you can tell how hot the grill is when you step up to it, and you can actually hear the charcoal. Uh-huh. And then you just pull the hoop out and then spread the coals around with uh, a fire retardant um, 
glove, you know, like with a silicone glove. Now, remember, I've been doing this for years, ladies and gentlemen. I don't say step right in and do this. It's all, uh, it's all, um, you know, on how you learn. So, just take take it easy. And if you know, if you need other tips, you can always let me know, or you can always listen to the Cooking with a Hazelnuts podcast. But then, of course, I use a temperature probe to see if I like my steaks medium well. So I use a temperature probe to get them up to about 161. And that's a nice medium well temperature. And you get that good charcoal flavor. I throw a little garlic on the charcoal and let that garlic smoke come in. I also uh, smoke my steaks. I've got a grill called a, um, um, it's a, it's a, well, it's an actual uh, smoker called a, a Traeger grill. So you can, you can grill, uh, anything on it, really. You can grill pizza. A fire-baked smoked pizza is wonderful. It actually uses wood pellets. It drops wood pellets into a hopper, catches them on fire, and so it smokes, and you're actually using smoke. But it's it runs on electricity. The electricity runs an auger, and the auger feeds the pellets into uh, this hopper, and they catch on fire, and then you're actually cooking. The knob turns. Each click is 25 degrees, and so you can digitally cook but still have that good smoked flavor if you don't want to go through the bother of actually getting a wet smoker. Um, I've used them all. Yet, uh, wet, dry, um, uh, the the uh, Trigger Grill is wonderful for steaks, hamburgers, chicken, pizza. I've even baked an apple crisp in the uh, Trigger smoker. Uh, so after you, you first are putting it on the barbecue, and and yeah. when you get it to be medium well, 161 mm-hmm. degrees, then you take it out and then you put it inside the smoker. After that, no, I don't. Uh, the the grill does does its own job. The smoker is just another method of cooking. Okay, so you don't use the smoker. Is that what you're saying? No, you can use the smoker, but you use that totally to cook the steak, or you can use a charcoal grill. They're both they're both different methods of cooking. Oh, okay, I understand. Okay, yep. great. Now, when you use the meat thermometers, though, uh, give us some pointers on how to use it. In other words, I understand that if you don't put it in there straight and the probe is touching your your grill, you're going to get a false reading. Is that true? Yeah, what I usually do is just uh, find the center of my meat, um, and then I just put the probe straight down, and if it touches the grill, just bring it up a little bit. Uh, and that that won't come in contact with the metal, and you don't want touching bone either because that'll give you a false reading. Okay, so you actually go uh, vertically. You go from top straight down. You don't put it through the side of the piece of meat. You're going well. If you're doing like chicken breast, like a like a chicken, say a, like a whole chicken, yeah, you can go in through the thigh or you can go in through the breast. Um, so you can you can go in from the side if you wish. Uh, however, uh, whatever the length of your probe, you've got to know your <laughs> you got to know your probe yes. and how long it is, so you can stick it into the various types of meats. Now, they also have a uh, infrared thermometer, um, and so you just hold your device over your meat, press a button, and it reads the temperature. You don't have to stick anything into anything. It just it just reads from a uh, from a um, infrared standpoint. And so how do you feel that is in terms of accuracy as compared to a metal meat thermometer? Oh, they're great. If anybody wants to buy me one, I'll give you my address. <laughs> they're they're pretty expensive. They're like about oh, 85 bucks. So I I stick with a traditional one, but I've actually seen the infrared ones in operation. They're pretty cool. Okay, great. 
well, gosh, all this information is really, really helpful. And at this point in time, uh, do you have a cookbook with some of the recipes? Because it sounds like you really do a lot of cooking. No, I don't have a cookbook. Um, I I get all my recipes online, and I also have people that uh, do have cookbooks. They send uh, recipes to me. Um, and then, of course, um, my friend that I do the cooking with the Hazelnut Show, Debbie Hazelton, uh, she and I talk about recipes, and we've given each other pointers um, all the time. So we, you know, we've, we've all been cooking for so many years that we just kind of know. But that still doesn't mean that we don't learn and we don't do new things. You know, like just until last year, um, I never knew what overnight oatmeal uh, was like until I made that for the first time about a year ago. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, Dr. Bill. No, I haven't. Well, you take um, you take oatmeal, you put it into a container, and then you put a half a cup of milk in, and you put uh, a tablespoon of, I like brown sugar, so I put a tablespoon of brown sugar in mine, a tablespoon of peanut butter, and then put some raisins or chia seeds or pumpkin seeds in there, uh, and then uh, you stir that all up. And you put a lid on it and put it in the fridge, and you have overnight oatmeal when you get up in the morning. It's it's cold, but it's really great. You can slice uh, baked apples into it if you wish. Oh. Uh, and you use old-fashioned oatmeal or you use regular oatmeal. It, it depends on you know what you like. You can't use rolled um, or um, steel-cut oats though. You you've got to use your regular ground oatmeal uh, in oh. order to make that dish. But I just learned that last year, and that's one of my favorite breakfasts. Gosh, it sounds really, really good. Oh, it is. And if you really, if you want to heat it up, just put it in your microwave for about 30 seconds, and you've got it. But I love it cold because it just soaks up all of the the, the peanut butter and the and the milk and the the fruit that you put in. You can use raisins or blueberries or whatever, and the juice from the blueberries, especially the frozen ones, they just get in there into that oatmeal, and you. Um, don't tell anybody, but sometimes I like to have a little bacon on the side with it. <laughs> so good, so good. Wow, that's great. <laughs> a piece of ham, you know. Hey, Randy. So, what about when is your your podcast available? Cooking with a hazelnut. When is that on the air? That is uh, once a month. We do it live, um, and you can hear it live on Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, and you can find it uh, with your podcatcher, podcast catcher. Just search for Cooking with the Hazelnuts, and you'll see it come up as Cooking with the Hazelnuts ACB Radio, and just give it a listen, and uh, I hope you guys do that. Wow, that sounds really, really great. Hey, well, we're going to open it up to some questions right now, and uh, do you mind taking some questions from our audience, or maybe they just want to share some cooking ideas that they have? Sounds great. Okay, uh, so if you would all unmute your phone, if you have a question or maybe a suggestion or a cooking tip that, that you use, and uh, I'm certain that all of you are hungry after hearing about all of these great recipes and things. Uh, so go ahead and, yeah, Richard. Um, Randy, no, that's awesome. There's so many things I want to say, and, uh, but I, I do want to ask, have you heard of, you had asked me a question earlier, and I was checking a reference, that's why I wasn't able to answer, but... Have you heard of I'm Just Here for the Food by Alton Brown? Alton Brown, he's a, obviously a real good food critic and cook and oh, yeah. does shows. Yep. He writes a book called I'm Just Here for the Food. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine who's low vision, 
um, insisted that I read the book before he gave me any cooking pointers because Alton Brown in this book really describes how to cook certain things from boiling a hard-boiling egg to making a steak because he also incorporates listening and sound. It's not just looking at the pink meat turning to red or, or getting dark. He, he incorporates a lot of different elements and, and senses. So I didn't know if you had heard of the book. I'm just here for the food. I know it's on a NLS book, and I just thought it'd be a great resource to share with folks. I'm going to download that on the BARD app and uh, give it a look. Wow, that's a great recommendation because uh, he really is a great chef. I've seen him on the Food Channel many, many times, and he's very entertaining, too. So it's Alton Brown, and the title of it is, Richard? Uh, Alton Brown, and it's uh, I, I'm Just Here for the Food. I, was, I, I called my neighbor, Larry, who I used to live next to while Randy was talking, going, can you remind me the name of the book? Because it's been about three years since I heard it. <laughs> So I'm I'm just here for the food by Alton Brown. Okay, it's A L T O N. Is that how his name? Correct. Okay, great. I, Thank you, Richard. I believe so. Yes. Yeah, yes. I've made his meatloaf before with a veal and pork and beef mix, and it's just out of this world. Ken, is this Ken Stewart? Yeah, I'm, I'm a late arrival. I had another conference call, so you may have talked about it already. But you mentioned putting in the microwave oven. Are there certain materials? You should not put in the microwave oven in terms of containers. I know. Yeah, you don't want to use like a turkey roaster pan, you know, like that, like a, that a turkey roast is in a tin foil of any kind. You don't want to use nothing metallic. Um, yep. How about plastics? Uh, well, you 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 can. You got to make sure that it's BPA free. You you don't want to just throw any kind of plastic in there. Um, but yeah, you can you can use plastic. I'm I prefer glass actually, but. Um, yeah, you can use it. Just be careful. I know. Uh, there are some plastics that are. Have you ever touched one of these uh, sixteen ounce glasses? Sixteen ounce glasses that are really flimsy. They're um, they're they like they feel kind of soft and rough yeah. on the outside. Yeah. Now they they get so hot that they. Uh, I uh, you know when I when I put one of those in a microwave, I kind of went. I kind of think, oh my goodness, what, what kind of chemical is leaching into my system? So, and I don't like the real hard plastic glasses either. So, just got to be careful. Yep. Thank you. That's a good point. Uh, next question for Randy. Yeah, this is Tom. Do you use the uh, what is it called now? Subi. What my kids. Do the new thing where it's slow cooking in a in a bag, boiling water, exact temperature. You know, I I've heard of them uh, actually, oh. and I've heard claims of how they work. Um, but I I have never used one. I have never even had my hands on one actually. But I do know of them. I know they're very expensive, but suppose like like your like your grill or whatever. I think you put them in a bag in water and then no air, and then it, you know, you set it 135 degrees for five hours or something like that. And I just thought that might be something. You didn't know, you know if you're blind, yeah. it might be. Yeah, no, I've, I've never had my hands on one, but I'd, I'd like to try one uh, sometime. But I. I guess, uh, you know, if it comes down to something like that, I, I'd probably just end up using my pressure cooker because I've got something that cooks uh, to make things tender, but I wouldn't mind giving it a try. They're very expensive, I understand. So. Yeah. 
Uh, how do you spell that, Ken? Subi, S-U-B-I? I think so. This is Tom. So I I don't really know. Um, but both of them had it in a cook things, and they just say that it's really good. It's, it's, yeah, I guess it's the new yuppie way of cooking things. Yeah. <laughs> it might be really good. We'll have to look it up. You know, the Subi. If anybody knows the spelling of it or the price, I was even even wondering if it's actually Japanese and it's actually spelled T-S-U-B-I. In Japanese, you would pronounce Tsubi the same way. I guess I would just uh, go on Google and look look it up, and I'm sure you'd find it. Okay, thank you. All right, let's see. Does anybody else have any of their cooking recommendations and suggestions? And, uh, you know, I have a a real basic question, too, and it's about measuring cups for people who are are blind or low vision. Is the measuring cup that you would use different for liquid? Let's say that I wanted one cup of water versus one cup of flour. Would I need to use a different measuring cup? Somebody told me that you would. Well, you would with weight, but not with liquid. If you were measuring like um, something by weight, then you know that then your liquid is different than your than your solids. But I just use um, I use measuring cups called Porfect, and they even have Braille on the Porfect measuring cup. Um, so um, yeah, they work really well. And, and you know what? Yeah, I've gotten so used to measuring cups. I just know the size of them just by the feel, whether they're half cups uh, or whole or whatever. They make metal ones, glass ones. Uh, the plastic porphic cups are great. Um, so, no, I, I don't use any, any different measurements than that. Can you spell porphic? Oh, your pardon? Spell porphic. Um, I think it's P-O-R-F-E-C-T, I think. I think it's P-O-U-R. Like yeah, it could, yeah, perfect. Yeah, probably is. Yeah. Okay. I, I do. I do have a question, Doctor Bill, from Randy. So, you know, if you're in the kitchen, Randy, uh, and you find yourself with a fire, what's your recommendation to put out that fire? What, what would you do to be ready for that fire? Well, salt. Um, luckily, I haven't had one, and I and I don't want one. Um, right. But you, I, I would put salt on it to. Kill the grease. I, I have been really, really lucky, um, I, and I'm very careful. But that doesn't mean there can't be an accident, you know. Yeah, I heard baking powder, baking the Arm and Hammer is also pretty good. Yeah, um, that works. My, have you? In my last question, have you had experience, or do you use any of your deep fryers for any chicken or anything? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that question. I have been touting these for about a year and a half now or so, and they're one of the mainstays of the Cooking with the Hazelnuts podcast. Um, And uh, as we all get a little bit older, we do try to be a little bit more careful in what we put into our bodies. Um, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. Don't tell anybody, but I love deep-fried food. So... Uh, over the past uh, couple of years, I've been watching YouTube of these devices called air fryers. So I thought, well, I'm going to buy one and I'll try it out. So the first air fryer I bought was called the Philips air fryer. 
And what it uses is it uses convection cooking in a cooking well, like a deep fryer, only it cooks with air, hot air. And to get that fried effect, you use a tablespoon of oil uh, for your fries or for whatever you know you want to crispen up, um, and you add your seasonings or whatever, and you get great tasting fries with your air fryer or fried chicken or um, you know anything that you buy from the stores like uh, cheese sticks. I promised myself I wouldn't get hungry. Uh, egg rolls. Uh, whatever you want, into the air fryer they go, and they don't even need any oil because they have oil in their product already. Uh, taco bites or whatever, uh, you can do, you know, pota- you know, regular potatoes in them, or you can quarter them and put seasoning on them, you know, like uh, um, whatever is your favorite seasoning. They turn out just wonderful in the air fryers. Now, the second one I bought, the first one was a, a four-quart air fryer, um, or it was a three-and-a-half-quart four quart i can't can't remember the exact measurements but the second one i bought was a 12 quart got that one from uh, qvc and it has a rotisserie in it so you can even rotisserie a uh five pound chicken in that air fryer and it's got it's got push buttons on it that you can have for uh snacks uh fish chicken uh french fries frozen french fried fresh um so you can find fryers with built-in settings for your air fryer. So I don't use my deep fryer anymore. But, yes, I've cooked uh, with a deep fryer for many years, but I just don't want to do it anymore because I want to hang around a little bit longer. <laughs> wow. And so you would say that the taste and the crispiness is very comfortable using the air fryer as compared to a deep fryer? Yeah, if you do it right. God, that's really great. That's really great to know. Yeah, now if you know if you use taco bites or egg rolls or whatever, you cannot tell the difference. Um, chicken wings have their own fat in them, so you don't need any fat. And I want to tell you, uh, chicken wings in the air fryer are just out of this world, guys. Oh, they're so good. And you can, you know, a blind person can use an air fryer. I've gotten asked this many questions. Um, on an app that I use on my iPhone called Volrail, and uh, people uh, can actually chat. Um, uh, I've tweeted about them. Uh, I have, uh, you know, we've talked about them. <laughs> I've actually, I should get commissioned because I've sold so many air fryers to people, and they all love them. Um, you can do bacon, you can do sausage, you can do, you know, just about anything in these devices. Uh, they have their own grease. Um, just the other day uh, for Easter, I made uh, bacon and onion and green bean mix. Uh, and the beans come out crispy, like French fried beans, uh, along with the bacon and onions. Uh, I've done Brussels Brussels sprouts. Um, what haven't I done? I think I've done just about everything you can imagine in the air fryer. Remember, it uses hot air, so um, things don't come out soggy or anything. Oh, they're so good. Randy, this is Tom. I, I happen to know that Dr. Bill doesn't know what a pork steak is. Could you give him maybe some quick pointers on how to prepare a pork steak? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> just put some seasoning on it, uh, whatever you, that you would like. I've got this little device, uh, Dr. Bill, and it's called the Denny's Meat Tenderizer. And what it is is a handle uh, that's spring-loaded that um, has about 45 pins that pierce the meat. So you can put whatever kind of rub. Are you guys familiar with the term rubs? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say rubs? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you can put your you can put your rubs your seasoning on your meats, 
rub it in really good with your hands, and then use the meat tenderizer to puncture these flavor channels into your uh, pork steak. Then you put it either on the barbecue grill, or you can put it on the opti grill, or smoke it, or um, or broil it. I have a, an oven called a Breville oven, and that's got a broiler setting on it. Oh, they're so good that way. Wow. There you go, Bill. I, I hear you. I hear you, Tom. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. My my mouth is watering. My stomach is grumbling. I'm ready to eat. <laughs> Thank you. This is Tom, and I found the spelling of Subi. It's actually French. It's S-O-U-S space V-I-D-E. Oh, wow. That's Yeah, that's pretty fancy. Yeah, so it, it's French, which means you use 20 letters and only say two. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I, I kind of thought it means under vacuum because you put it in a like in a plastic bag with water and then you suck all, make sure all the air is out, so there's no air in it, and that and it's sort of slow cooking. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Gosh, well, all of these all of these uh, recommendations and recipes are great tonight. Does anybody else have any other last questions or suggestions they'd like to share with everybody? Go ahead. This is Debbie from uh, Kentucky. I came in a little late, but I was wondering if you had any tips on omelets. Uh, I always have a problem flipping them. You betcha. Sometimes they have the electric. I not actually have one, but sometimes I've heard the electric omelet makers. Yep, I've got one, and they work great. Just stack your stuff in the omelet maker, you know, put whatever you want, your peppers, your onions, your, of course, eggs, potatoes, ham, whatever, just uh, put it in there, close the lid, and have, make sure it's plugged in, obviously. And in four minutes, you got a great omelet. Do you have any problem cleaning it? Because on some of those, those exploit trays don't come out, I don't think. Yeah, you're correct. You they, do, they do not, but it's it's nonstick, and it's it's really easy to clean an omelet maker, an electric omelet maker. And you can get them from QVC. Thank you. I have one final question, Dr. Bill. Randy, how big is your kitchen? You have so many devices, man. <laughs> that, Here, hey, Richard, let me show you. Just Richard, let me show you. that's going to be my question there. Where do you uh, put all this stuff, Randy? Okay, let me show you how big my kitchen is. Hang on a second. <clears throat> Hello, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, it's it's a small kitchen, but we've we've got it packed pretty full. And don't get me started on uh, Vitamix blenders or juicers because uh, I can talk about them for a while too. We'll we'll have you back on uh, in the fall. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hi, Randy. Hi, this is Elsa. Earlier, the question came up as to whether or not to soak beans in water before cooking them. And I was wondering what you have to say. But my personal opinion is that, yes, it is good because when you rinse them, oh, gosh, that water does come out pretty dark. Yep, you want to make sure that all the starch is out of your beans, too. I just bring Thank mine into you. the sh- I bring mine into the shower with me. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, would you agree that they cook faster when you soak them for an hour or so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, I soak mine overnight, and I always add a little pinch of baking soda and salt so that they don't foam. Yeah. Uh, not baking soda, but just regular soda, sorry. Thanks. Yeah, sure, you're welcome. 
All right. Let's see. Are there any other uh, questions or suggestions anybody would like to share? Just one quick thing about beans. If you forget to soak them, you can also put them in the pressure cooker for about um, 25 minutes or so, and you can do what's called a quick pressure method and then cook them on the stove for an additional couple of hours, and uh, you'll have good ba- – I've got a great barbecue bean recipe with bacon, and um, – you uh, you can do them in the pressure cooker in case you forget to soak your beans. So if you have a pressure cooker, guys, um, you can actually use uh, the quick uh, method. Well, Randy, I, I really think that uh, you got to write a book because there's a lot of people listening tonight that would love to have your recipes. So uh, we'll wait for that and have you back on the show to talk about your book. Well, just remember, uh, I'm <laughs> I'm out for, and if anybody wants to try out the re- recipes, just uh, send me a ticket, and I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Randy, how can people get in touch with you if they have any questions? Well, the easiest way, actually, is uh, on Twitter, um, and I can be found at the Big R, all run together, T H E B I G R. Or you can reach me at randy.rusnak, that's R-A-N-D-Y dot R-U-S-N-A-K at gmail.com. Great. Well, thank you very much for all of this information. Uh, Richard Retta, i also like to thank you for stepping in uh, during the early part of this podcast. And i also like to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA for recording this. So this will be up at the website at www.airsla.org and also at cclvi.org next week. So until next month, so long, everybody, and good cooking. <laughs>